What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by the Device and Virtue podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. On Device and Virtue, Chris and I argue about the wrongs and rights Christians face with technology in everyday life. From smartphones to evangelism chatbots. To that selfie stick Adam shouldn't have bought. It's nice. Subscribe at deviceandvirtue.com. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts. Oh, what manner of battle this warrior, St. Paul, teaches us to be armed on our feet, that we may go readily and prepare the way for the gospel. Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered. Today's episode was preached by Hugh Latimer. It's called Render to God What is God's, and it was preached in England in 1535. Big thanks to a new Patreon this week, Brandon. Thank you and all of our Patreons for helping make this show possible. Joel, the sermon we will listen to today talks about fighting the good fight to uh, the very end. And that's something that a lot of the Revive Thought speakers, they live these long lives where they're just fighting for the gospel at every turn. And this is a fitting message, especially from the man whose life we're going to take a look at um, in this episode, uh, Hugh Latimer. He is a name that if you've heard of him, it's because he's very famous for being burned at the stake um, by a queen. But that was just the final act of him standing for Christ. His entire life, really, is him fighting for and standing up for Christ in all these different, very challenging situations. Troy, so like a lot of these guys from this era, we're not quite sure when he was born. We know he died in the year 1555, but during our research, we found birth dates anywhere from 1475 to 1492. So there's a pretty big, pretty big window uh, in which people think he might have been born. We do, however, know a little bit about his upbringing. We know his family was poor, but they, they were just wealthy enough. They were just able to get Latimer into school. And when Latimer got into school, he took off from there. Now, Latimer, early on in his life, was he was pretty hardcore Catholic. He thought the Catholic Church was the best thing in the world. He, he went to Cambridge at 
age 14 and advanced straight through until he was pretty much the top of his academic field. And like I said, he was a pretty hardcore Catholic. He called himself an obstinate papist, which is pretty much like a stubborn pope follower. When he heard that some of his students were reading an Erasmus translation of the Bible, he made a huge speech against Martin Luther's right-hand man, Philip Melanchthon. I think this is one of the most interesting moments in his life. Uh, Have you ever... I don't know if you've ever done this. You take this really impassioned stand for something. You are just extremely firm in it. And then you kind of feel embarrassed and almost start to retroactively walk it back. And that's kind of what Latimer does here. He takes this huge stand. I'm not with Luther. I'm not with these guys. These are bad guys. And then this student that he really respected thought he was going to become something great someday, Thomas Bilney, um, asks uh, Latimer, he says, can I have, give you my private confession, you know, and that as Catholics, they go, the priest got to confess. So he takes them to the back, to the, you know, the booth. And the confession that Bilney is basically giving him is his personal testimony and why he chooses to read the Bible for himself and how he came to place his faith in Christ. And he uses this private confession where he's like, here's the things I'm doing wrong, but he's really sharing the gospel and why he puts his trust in Jesus. And this testimony just absolutely you know touched it destroys Latimer he just kind of he can't shake it and he wants to spend more time with Bill and he suddenly feels really I think shame and embarrassment at how he had prejudged the reformation movement and so Latimer starts spending all this time with Bill and the two of them would read scripture together they would visit the poor they would go to prisons and preach and they he, he very quickly gives up that hardcore, stubborn uh, Catholic church way of doing things and starts to uh, transition and becoming uh, one of the very important members of the Reformation. So one thing you have to understand about this time period is that what Luther and the Reformers are doing during this era is changing everything in Europe. It's changing how the whole continent is viewing God and viewing the church, and with that, how they're viewing princes and kings. It's it's all changing. And England starts to go through this radical change that by the time it's over in the 1600s, there's a huge civil war. And this is kind of the, the beginning. I mean, obviously, you can look at things however you want to look at, but you can really kind of trace the strings back in a lot of ways you can you can look back through the the english civil war you can look back through the reformation through the church of england and back to this point with latimer and king henry the eighth this relationship between latimer and king henry the eighth you can really look at as this kind of catalyst for a huge portion of history if you know history you know that king henry the eighth is actually a hugely influential member of the reformation especially in england but not because of his theology or his character or, or his Christian values. Uh, I would argue a lack of Christian values. He had, by the time this is all over, six wives. He had killed some of them. Not a stand-up guy. But in this very beginning, in the early days, uh, he wanted England to begin breaking away from the Catholic Church because he wanted to divorce his wife. The Catholic Church was firm. No, you're not divorcing your wife. He had to stay married to his brother's widow. His wife at the time is named Catherine of Aragorn. That's an important name. Keep it in your head because she comes back later in a sense. And um, he he's looking for somebody to help him out. The Catholic Church is firm saying, no way. So he goes to Hugh Latimer, this leader of the Reformation, and Hugh Latimer gives him some reasons, and there were some just reasons, that he shouldn't have been married to her. He uses those, and this begins the breakaway of the church in England that will eventually be the Church of England away from the Catholic Church. So King Henry VIII really just seems to be in favor of Latimer and the Reformers because 
he can use them to help bolster his what he wants at that time, which at that time was to divorce his wife. He's a fan of the reformers when it helps benefit him, but as we see further on in the story, he will eventually become a huge hater of the reformers too when when it ceases to benefit him. But early on, even though his motives were corrupt, he initiates the Church of England there and breaks away from the Catholic Church. And he keeps Latimer on as a preacher in the courts. And now Latimer is kind of faced with this interesting scenario because, again, King Henry's not not a really good leader at the time. He had been known for using churches and orphanages to house his horses, and he takes taxes meant for the poor and uses it on himself, so really not a great leader or ruler in in any sense. So Latimer, in his sermons that he's preaching, we can see he, he begins to call out these exact things. He begins to call out stealing from the poor. He begins to preach taking care of the poor, and when people accuse him of calling the king a thief he basically just says hey i'm just preaching the word these this is the truth that we that the the bible calls everyone to and no one is free from that and the king could have i mean king had killed people for far far less but um at that specific time in his life uh he commends latimer for uh being honest and, and holding to his convictions but time goes on relationships develop and king henry would eventually Uh, begin to not like Latimer so much. Henry would eventually send him to jail. And there's this kind of humorous story and this very long, uh, tragic, I find the people from the 1500s get sent to jail a lot. Uh, But there's this kind of funny story where, like, basically King Henry's sending all these different people to jail. So, uh, one of which is Latimer. He's in the Tower of London. That's kind of the big jail in London, very famous jail that people are sent to. And he's in there. And eventually, about a year later, they, they Henry sends the jailer to jail. Doesn't think the jailer's doing a good job. Well, because the jailer's in jail, people aren't scheduling the guards. There's really no one watching over the jail. And so Latimer literally just kind of walks out of jail with no one there to stop him. And so when he leaves, he just goes to the church. He's like, I guess I'm out of jail now. There was nobody there to stop me. And so he ends up going north, and uh, he becomes part of this underground church movement because during this time, um, King Henry VIII isn't being kind to the reformers. And so they, he kind of goes from town to town preaching with this group, and it's very much like an underground church. And they call him the apostle to England. He's just very amazing at preaching. He's bringing people to Christ. And they do this in secret, and they do this for about five years, and then the king dies, and he is replaced by King Edward the Sixth. And I know if you're if you're kind of like me, you're like, okay, those kings and stuff. Sometimes this can get a little bit confusing, but if it helps to remember, if you've listened to previous episodes of Revive Thoughts, we've gone over Edward the Sixth a little bit. But just as a refresher, he loved the Reformation. Um, he was a big fan of what they were doing, and and Latimer and him were allowed to come and preach to him. So now this is the second king. Uh, Latimer is preaching before, and he's a huge fan of what's going on. And during this time, they publish a lot of books. This is a really great time. Edward VI is considered a good time to be a part of the Reformation and what they're doing. This brief time of bliss eventually comes to an end, though, and after it comes almost a movie-like revenge plot. Do you think about how your iPhone affects your daily life as a Christian? I'm Adam. And I'm Chris. And this episode is brought to you by the Device and Virtue podcast, where we argue about the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life, from DNA tests to TikTok videos. Give us a listen, and this fall, check out our new online seminary course. It's called Theology of Technology, Church and Culture in the Age of Zoom. Find out more at deviceandvirtue.com. 
King Edward VI was only king for a few years before he died. He became king at the age of nine and died at the age of 15, uh, so a, a younger king as well. And during this time, the, the Protestant movement did become officially recognized by the king there, but after him, after he dies, Queen Mary, uh, who goes down in history as the bloody Queen Mary, she officially takes over the throne, and she's actually the only living daughter to the wife that King Henry VIII divorced earlier, Catherine of Aragorn. So now you have the daughter of the ex-wife that Latimer helped advise against during that divorce. And you can see how this would become a problem now because now she's running the show and now she's running the entire kingdom. And she was understandably very bitter with him. So unsurprisingly, uh, the Reformation and the Reformers are now in a bit of a situation, and they uh, they end up in jail, they end up burned at the stake, they end up killed, and Hugh Latimer is very famously one of these people. Um, he gets put into jail uh, in the Tower of London again uh, for about two years. He's with John Bradford, who we did an earlier episode on, the man called the holiest man of the Reformers and one of my favorites. So definitely go back and check that out if you haven't heard that episode. So now Hugh Latimer is going to the grave. He ends up going with this other guy named Nicholas Ridley. One is very young. The other is very old. And they just, they look like this pair going to um, the stake. They're praising God. They're singing. They're, pray, they're praying. They're having, I mean, honestly, it doesn't seem like they're going to the stake to be burned. They're having a good old time. And uh, his martyrdom for Christ ends up being this very infamous one during this time period. Such a great man killed by this evil queen who is revenging herself on everyone who helped see her mother divorced. And it is this man who never gave up, got sent to jail multiple times, didn't care, just constantly was preaching the cause of Christ. And he doesn't show fear. It's him who tells us to put on the armor of God and to give to God what is God's in this sermon we're about to listen to. Ephesians 6.11 Put on the full armor of God that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. St. Paul, the holy apostle, wrote this letter to the Ephesians, that is, to the people of the city of Ephesus. He wrote to them all, and in the former chapters he taught them how they should behave themselves. In every estate, one to another, how they should obey their rulers, how wives should behave themselves toward their husbands, children toward their parents, and servants towards their masters. And husbands, parents, and masters should behave as well and love their wives, children, and servants, and generally each to love the other. Now he comes out and comforts them and teaches them to be bold and to play the men and fight manfully, for they must fight with valiant warriors, as will appear later in the text. And against those who come to fight, he comforts them, saying, My brethren... He called them brothers, for though he taught them before to be subject to kings and rulers and to be obedient to their superiors, yet he teaches them that in Christ we are all brethren. According to the saying in the same chapter, God is no acceptor of persons. My brethren, says he, be comforted, be strong, not trusting to yourselves, no, but be bold and comforted by our Lord and by the power of his virtue, not by your own virtue. For it is not of power to resist such assaults as he speaks. Put on and wear the armor of God. Armor is an apparel to clothe a man, and makes him prepared and ready. It settles on his body and makes him strong and bold in battle. So St. Paul exhorted his brethren to be armed, 
And as the assaults are strong and not small, so he gave them strong armor and not small. Put on, says he, the armor of God. He speaks generally of armor, but afterwards he speaks particularly of the different parts of armor, where he says, be armed completely, whole, be armed on every part with the armor of God, not borrowed, not patched, but all godly. And as armor shapes a man's body, so this godly armor makes us beautiful in the sight of God and acceptable in his wars. So be armed at all points with the armor of God, that you may stand strong against the assaults of the devil, that you may stand, says he, you may stand in this battle and not sit, nor lie along, for he that lies is stomped under the foot of his enemy. We may not sit, that is, not rest in sin, or lie along in sluggishness of sin, but continually fight against our enemy and under our great captain and sovereign Lord Jesus Christ, and in this quarrel armed with the armor of God that we may be strong. We cannot be strong unless we be armed of God. We have no power of ourselves to stand against the assaults of the devil. There St. Paul teaches what our battle is and why we must be so armed. For, says he, we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, which may be understood against certain sins, which come of the flesh only. But let us take it as it stands against flesh and blood, that is, against any corporal man, which is but a weak thing in comparison, and with one stroke destroyed or slain. But we have to deal with strong, mighty princes and chiefs, that mighty prince, that great conqueror of this world, the devil, yes, a conqueror. For though our Savior, Jesus Christ, conquered him and all his by suffering his blessed passion, yet he is a great conqueror of this world and reigns over a great multitude of his own and makes continual conflicts and assaults against the rest to subdue them also under his power, which if they are armed after St. Paul's teaching, will stand against his assaults. Our battle, says St. Paul, is against principalities, that is, against devils. For after the common opinion, there fell from heaven of every order of angels. He says also against worldly rulers of these darknesses. For as doctors do right, the spirits that fell with Lucifer have their being in air caliganoso, the air in darkness, and the rulers of this world, by God's sufferance, do hurt, vex, and assault them that live upon the earth. For their nature is, as they be damned, to desire to draw all mankind into a similar damnation. Such is their malice. And although they hang in the air, or fall in a garden or other pleasant place, yet they continually blow pain upon their backs. Against these we wrestle and against spiritual wickedness in coelestibus, that is, in the air, or we fight against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Don't you think that our enemy, this prince, with all his potentates, has great and sore assaults to lay against our armor? Yes, he is a crafty warrior, and also of great power in this world. He has great ordnance and artillery. He has great pieces of law, as mighty kings and emperors to shoot against God's people to persecute or kill them, Nero the great tyrant who slew Paul and scores of others. Yes, what great friends he has had of bishops of Rome. 
which have destroyed whole cities and countries, and have slain and burnt many. What great guns were those! And he also has lesser princes, evil enough, some bishops in many countries, and here in England, which he has shot at some good Christian men, that they may have been blown to ashes. So can this great captain, the devil, shoot his cannons. He has yet lesser artillery, for he has all sorts, to shoot at good Christian men. He has handguns and bows, which do much hurt, but do not so much as the great cannons. These are accusers, promoters, and slanderers. They are evil guns, shrewd handguns, and bows. They put a man to great displeasure. Oftentimes, death comes from that shot. For these things, says the text, take the armor of God. Against the great captains, the devils, and against their artillery, their ministers, there can nothing to defend us but the armor of God. Take therefore this armor, says the text, that you may resist in the evil day, and in all things stand perfectly or be perfectly strong. This evil day is not called here because any day or time is evil, for God made every day good, and all the days are good. But St. Paul calls it the evil day because of the misfortune, the chances, or comes to that day. As we have a common saying, I have had an evil day and an evil night because of the heaviness or evil that has happened, so says Paul, that you may resist in the evil day. That is, when your great adversary has encircled you with his chiefs and rulers and with his artillery, so that you may be almost overwhelmed. Then if you have the full armor of God, you will be strong and need not fear his assaults. St. Paul has spoken of this armor of God generally, and now declares the parts and pieces of armor and teaches them how to wear every part on the body with this armor. He begins yet again saying, Be strong, having your reins or your loins girded about. Some men of war used to have about their loins an apron or girdle of mail. Gird fast for the safeguard of the nether part of the body. So St. Paul would have us gird our loins, which represent lechery or other sinfulness, with a girdle which is to be taken for a restraint or continence from such vices, in truth or truly gird. It may not be feigned or falsely girt, but in verity and truth. And be clothed, says Paul, with the coat armor of justice, that is righteousness. Let your body be clothed in the armor of righteousness. You may do no wrong to any man, but live in righteousness, not clothed with any false quarrel or privy grudge. You must live rightly in God's law, following his commandments and doctrine, clothed righteously in his armor, and not in any false armor. For the assaults of the devil are crafty. To make us put our trust in such armor, he will feign himself to fly. But then we are most in jeopardy, for he can give us and follow up when we least expect. That is, suddenly return unaware to us, and then he ambushes us and overthrows us. That armor deceives us. In like manner, these men in the north country 
They make pretense as though they were armed in God's armor, gird in truth and clothed in righteousness. I hear some say they wear the cross, and they pretend to bring praise to the king's grace and to the commonwealth when they intend nothing and deceive the poor ignorant people and bring them to fight against both the king and the church and the commonwealth. They arm them with the sign of the cross and of the wounds and go clean contrary to him that bear the cross and suffered those wounds. They rise with the king and fight against the king in his ministers and officers. They rise with the church and fight against the church, which is the congregation of faithful men. They rise with the commonwealth and fight against it and go about to make the commons each to kill the other and to destroy the commonwealth. Oh, what false pretense can the devil send amongst us? It is one of his most craftly and subtle assaults to send his warriors forth under the badge of God as though they were armed in righteousness and justice. But if we will resist such strongly indeed, we must be clothed or armed with a coat of justice or righteousness to true obedience to our prince and faithful love to our neighbors and take no false quarrels in hand nor any feigned armor but in justice having your feet shod for the preparation of the gospel of peace. Oh, what manner of battle this warrior St. Paul teaches us to be armed on our feet that we may go readily and prepare the way for the gospel. Yes, the gospel of peace, not of rebellion not of insurrection. No, it teaches obedience, humility, and quietness. It makes peace in the conscience and teaches true faith in Jesus Christ and to walk in God's laws armed with God's armor, as Paul teaches here. Yes, if bishops in England had been ready for the preparation of this gospel and had endeavored themselves to teach and set it forth, as our most noble prince has devised, and if certain gentlemen, being justices, had executed his grace's commandment in setting forth this gospel of peace, this disturbance among the people had not happened. But you say, it is new learning. Now I tell you it is the old learning. Yes, you say, it is old heresy newly shined. No, I tell you it is old truth, long rusted with your fungus, and now made bright and shiny. What an Rusty truth is this, whatever you bind and etc. This is a truth spoken to the apostles and all true preachers, their successors, that with the law of God they should bind and condemn all that sinned, and whoever repents, they should declare him loosed and forgiven by believing in the blood of Christ. But how has this truth overrusted with the Pope's rust? For he, by this text, whatever you bind, has taken upon him to make what laws him listed, clean contrary to God's word, which wills that every man should obey the prince's laws, and by this text, whatever you loosen, he has made all people believe that for money he might forgive what and whom he desired. So that if any man has robbed his master or taken anything wrongfully, the Pope would loosen him. By this pardon or that pardon, given to these friars or those friars, put in this box or that box, and as it were, by these means a dividend of the spoil was made, so that 
it was not restored, nor the person rightly discharged. And yet most part of the spoil came to the hands of him and his ministers. What is this but a new learning, a new fungus to rust and corrupt the old truth? You call your learning old. It may indeed be called old, for it comes of that serpent which did pervert God's commandment and trick Eve. So it is an old custom to pervert God's word and to rust it and corrupt it. We are a great many that profess to be true ministers of the gospel. But in the trial I think it will come to pass, as it did with Gideon, a judge, which God raised up to deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites, in whose hands they had fallen because they had broken God's commandment and displeased God. Yet at length he had compassion on them and raised up Gideon to deliver them. When they heard that they had a captain or a duke, that should deliver them, they assembled a great number, about thirty thousand. But when it came to pass that they should fight, they departed all save five hundred. So I fear me, that at the trial we shall be found but a few ministers of the true gospel of peace and armed in the true armor of God. It follows, and in all things take the shield or buckler of faith. The buckler is a thing where a man most chiefly defends himself, and that must be perfect faith in Jesus Christ, in our captain, and in his word. It must also be a true faith. It is no part of the armor of God. It may not be feigned, but a buckler which may stop or quench the violence of the flaming darts of the most wicked. You should also take the helmet or headpiece of health, or true health in Jesus Christ. For there is no health in any other name, not the health of a gray friar's coat, or the health of this pardon or that pardon. That were a false helmet, and should not defend the violence of the wicked. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. O St. Paul teaches you to battle, to take in your left hand the shield of faith, to defend and bear off the darts of the devil, and in the other hand a sword to strike the enemy. For a good man of war may not stand against and defend only, but also strikes against his enemy. So St. Paul gives us here a sword, the word of God. For this sword it is that beats this great captain, our enemy. Christ himself gave us an example to fight with this sword. For he answered the devil with the scripture and said, It is written, with this sword he drove away the devil, and so let us break his head with this sword, the true word of God, and not with any word of the Bishop of Rome's making, not with his old learning, nor his new learning, but with the pure word of God. The time passes. I will therefore get to the end. Let us fight as warriors, and not cease, for no man is crowned or rewarded until the end. We must fight continually, and with this sword, and in our armor, and we will receive the reward of victory. And so the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all your spirits. Amen. I love where Hugh Latimer in the sermon talks about standing. He's like, be standing, be ready to fight. I think... 
a lot of times we put on armor of God, we think about these things we do, and then we just kind of we sit around and wait for something to happen. But if you're sitting around and waiting, you're going to be pretty easily taken by surprise. That's when you're going to be caught sinning. That's when you're going to be doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Putting on the armor of God doesn't mean you then just kind of get to relax and, you know, whatever. I read my Bible today, I pray today, I'm good, I'm going to just relax and have a me day, right? Like, no, you put on the armor of God, and then you stand ready, and you do the things God has called you to do, and you go out and be a part of those things. And I, I love that idea of, like, we put on the armor so that we can stand ready, not just put on the armor and then relax and sit down somewhere and, you know, just just call it a day. So I, I really enjoyed that part of the sermon. I, and this idea, too, that, you know, sometimes we hear about the armor of God and we hear about wrestling and fighting enemies and stuff, and we kind of feel removed from it. But he's talking about it as someone who's probably seen, you know, a little bit closer to what real soldiers and armor looks like than we do. And his description of battles and stuff makes more sense because that's probably what they used to look like. So I just love hearing his thoughts on the armor of God as he probably sees knights and soldiers in armor on a pretty regular basis. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revive Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by Austin Hetzler. Big thanks to Austin for helping us out with this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, visit our website at revivethoughts.com. There you can find the transcript for this episode and all of our episodes. Please consider sharing the show with a friend. Uh, That's the main way that we grow and get new listeners is by word of mouth. So if, if you like the show and you think someone else might, tell them about it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revive Thoughts. We also always recommend that you subscribe to the channel so that you can listen to future episodes. We put out a new sermon every Thursday, and we would love for you to hear this episode. And make sure you go back and check out earlier episodes we've done on the Reformers, done on people, all different walks with God, from ancient fathers like Chrysostom to people uh, pretty more, much more modern like Oswald Chambers. We highly recommend um, going back through the catalog and listening to some of those other episodes. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts. This episode is brought to you by the Device and Virtue podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. On Device and Virtue, Chris and I argue about the wrongs and rights Christians face with technology in everyday life. From smartphones to evangelism chatbots. To that selfie stick Adam shouldn't have bought. It's nice. Subscribe at deviceandvirtue.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.